0: Well, hey, again, want to welcome you all to any of our five campuses in the Northwest Georgia and the Tennessee Valley. So Hickson, Ringgold, Dalton, Chatsworth, Calhoun. Thank you for joining us for part three of our message series called Tangled Up. And what we have been talking about is just like sometimes you open the box to put out, pull out your Christmas decorations and you find this mess that you have to do something with. We've discussed for the last several weeks that our relationships Oftentimes get tangled up and we've promised you three steps and we've covered two of them and today this weekend we'll cover the third But we've promised you three steps to help you untangle your relationships and not at a superficial level Not just play nice and pose and look nice for the christmas family photo Or get along while everybody's over at the house for christmas dinner or at the office staff christmas party or whatever but to really deal with and untangle the relational messes that we all have or have had or will have. Because, you know, we're like broken people and sinful people, so we're like porcupines and two porcupines that get close together, eventually going to poke each other, right? And that creates a tangle and that creates an injury or a wound. And so the question that we're going to wrestle with this weekend is this one. What do you do with the hurt and pain of being wrong? When you get wronged or you get hurt, somebody lets you down, somebody doesn't make play nice with you, whether that's your husband or your wife or your teenager or your boss or your next door neighbor, what do you do when someone hurts you? And hurt creates kind of like a tangle inside of us, right? And, and, and here's the thing, and let me speak to Christians just for a second, Okay. Christ followers, we ought to be, and we'll make this clear in just a minute, but we ought to be the best in the world at dealing with this stuff, and oftentimes I find Christians are the worst in the world at dealing with it, because we like play nice, we don't want to be offensive, who are we to judge, what are we supposed to do, and we're going to talk about just a powerful concept for dealing with this in our step three uh, of, of Tangled Up, but just back to the question, what do you do with the hurt, with the pain of being wrong? Here's what a lot of us do we just take it with us. We just carry it along. We nurse it. We rehearse it. We remember it. We don't do it. We just take it with us and it just becomes part of who we are. And and, and when we get reminded of it or when we get an opportunity to bring it up and throw it in that person's face or cause us to leave or abandon or whatever, that's just what we do. We just leave it and we nurse it and and it never gets better. And, And I just would say there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way, and part of the joy and the hope and the promise of Christmas is that God offers us a better way, and, and the pathway that we're going to go through today to get to that better way of dealing with those wounds and those pains and those hurts and those hang-ups that get created inside of us when relationships hurt us and, and wound us— is to go through Jesus, and and there's a title, or actually a series of titles, and if you've ever been to or heard Handel's Messiah, you you know this passage of Scripture. There's a title or a series of titles given to Jesus uh, in Isaiah that's actually a prophecy several hundreds of years before the actual birth of Christ, Made about who this child would be and who he would become for the world and what his kingdom would be like. And so we're going to zero in on one of those titles and understand step three and understand how to untangle the tangle that happens when this happens. So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn, uh, turn it on, open it up, or you can, of course, follow along with me. We're in the prophes- prophetic book of Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. And here's the prophecy. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. So he'll have authority, he'll have power. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, and we could preach a whole sermon about that. Mighty God, Eternal Father. So interesting, he's talking here about the incarnation of God, that God will be born for us, but Jesus is God, so that's important to know. But the, the, the title that we want to zero in on is this title of royalty, but he's called a Prince of Peace. He's called a Prince of Peace, and it says that his dominion or his authority will be vast. So wherever God is ruling and wherever God is reigning, there will be a sense, of, a type of peace that we'll talk about. And, and that peace is kind of like the Hebrew word for shalom, where things are complete, where things are restored, where, where everybody's, everything's just 100%. How you doing? Man, I'm 100%. It's all good. Uh, so a completeness, a wholeness, a peacefulness. And the dominion will be vast and the prosperity will never end. He'll reign over the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And then we get this last little piece here, which is important. The zeal or the intensity of... God's intense, the intensity of the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So God's committed to this kingdom. God's committed to his son becoming this prince of peace. And so we need to recall this and understand this, that for tangled up relationships, Jesus is the prince of peace. That for tangled up relationships, Jesus is the prince of peace. And our path to untangling these messes and our path to untangling these tangled up relationships goes through this word peace and goes through this understanding that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So let's zoom way out and let's talk about this. And I I know we're all thinking about the guy in our office or the family member that we're not at peace with or or where we've got an issue and everything. But let's zoom out and go go to that person, go to that issue, go to that tangle through God himself as the Prince of Peace. So, here's the deal and here's the situation, okay? You and I, as people created by God and created in the image of God, have rejected God. You you and I have rebelled against God. That your greatest problem and my greatest problem is, is not who's in the White House Your greatest problem and my greatest problem is not cancer or tornadoes or hurricanes or the stock market. Your greatest problem and my greatest problem is that there is a problem between us and God. Without Jesus, we're alienated from God, and that makes us susceptible and deserving of the justice of God, the wrath of God. That makes us eligible, that makes us worthy of being condemned, and God would be right and righteous to do that, that we have this is separation. We're at war with God. Some of you don't think that way. You think I'm a good person and good God, good people go to a good place. But the fact of the matter is there is enmity, there is hostility between us and God unless our God is a prince of peace. And then God has a part of his nature is to do something to establish a dominion and establish a kingdom Where you and I, rebels, hostile to God, against God, sinners against God, worthy and deserving of his justice, where God wants to figure out a way to be at peace with us. So God does something. And it starts with this Prince of Peace that pops into history about 2,000 years ago. So in Colossians 1, we get a theological explanation of what I just said, that through him, that's Jesus, Prince of Peace, he came to reconcile, restore, come back to a shalom, a hundred percent, a peaceful existence, a relationship with you and I, to restore everything to himself. That's his kingdom. That's his dominion. Isaiah 9 prophesied about it. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, and here's our phrase, by making peace through his blood. Not your blood, not my blood, not hit my death or your death, but through his death, shed on the cross. Once you and I were alienated and hostile in our minds, expressed in our evil actions, that's what I mean. We're at war with God. You're like, I'm not at war with God. I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. If you do not have Christ in your life, you are at war with God. There's no peace between you and God. That's your greatest problem, my greatest problem, the world's greatest problem. And so he came, though, to be a Prince of Peace, to end the alienation, to end the hostility, to end the tangle between you and me and God. That's why he came. Prince of Peace. But now, after Christmas, after Easter, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. All right? So the Prince of Peace Has made a way to have everlasting peace between former rebels, me and you, and God Almighty, holy, just, yet loving, and peacemaking God. All right? So the moment you and I would say to Christ, Become my king, become my savior, I want peace with you, God, I recognize I'm a rebel, I recognize I'm hopeless, helpless without you, come and be my God then something happens to us. We get adopted into God's family. We get placed under God's dominion. And what kind of dominion is that dominion? It's a prince, it's a, it's a prince of peace. It's a peaceful dominion. So before I move forward, you got to ask this question. Are you at peace with God? If not, right now, there is an open invitation to every single person that knows they're not at peace with God, but sees Christ as the Prince of Peace, as the peacemaker, as the one who's made peace, made a path to reconciliation through the cross. And if that's resonating inside your heart and mind and soul, just give Christ the steering wheel of your life. Make Him your King and Savior. Enter into His family. Become His child. Become His son. Become His daughter. You know, we're here to help you take that step. We're here to walk with you, teach you how to grow, teach you how to know Christ. So you, what you could do is just take this blue card somewhere that's near you and just let us know, hey, this is my day that I am accepting Christ's death in my place and I'm just giving Him the steering wheel making Him Lord of my life. And we'll get in touch with you and we'll help you, take, help you move forward in, in what we call this. Being a Christian, the uh, only way to die, it's the best way to live. And that's your invitation. But once you become part of the forever family of God. Once the tangle between you and God, me and God, is resolved, look what now happens, okay? Go ahead, we'll go to 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> People conceived, and he uses birth analogy here, and we're in the message translation, which is not a literal one, not a great one, but it explains the point. People conceived and brought into life by God So that's the reconciliation, the coming to have peace with God. Don't make a practice of sin. How could they? Now, this is important. God's seed, God's nature is deep within them, making them who they are. So you become a son, a daughter of God. The the divine seed becomes part of our nature. And we're called in 2 Corinthians 5, new creations in Christ. So here's the point. If God is a prince of peace, if Christ is the prince of peace, and you take and I take his nature, and that becomes who we are, then you and I become something. We become peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So a sign evidence is that, you, uh, that God is in our lives, that God has operated in us to save us and redeem us and end the hostility between us and God, is that we become peacemakers. Peacemakers. Now listen, not peacekeepers, peacemakers. A peacekeeper is like this. Hey, I know our family's terrible, but everybody looked great for the photo we're about to put on Facebook. Okay. You know, I I know Christmas, I, I know we're like all at each other's throats. I know we don't like each other, but it's the Christmas season. Let's just get along. And as soon as Christmas over, World War III resumes, right? So it's not peacekeeper, it's peacemaker. It's not sweep it under the rug and pretend. It's not just hide the tangle somewhere. It is a becoming a peacemaker, okay? So this is the progression that we've been going on. Step one of ending our tangles is we go vertical before horizontal. We go to God with the issues. We, we get untangled between us and God, which affects our horizontal, our relationships with other people. Last week, Alfred, our discipleship pastor, talked about, hey, you got to go to the person you got to tangle with. After you go to God, you got to go to them and have a conversation. And part of that conversation and part of our posture to the person that has wounded us, hurt us, let us down is the posture of a peacemaker because that's who we are when we are under, under the dominion of the Prince of Peace. So then that takes us to step three, which is we become peacemakers, which we, means we now have an unconditional commitment to practice forgiveness. Perhaps the hardest word for us to actually live out when we get hurt, when we get wounded, when we get cheated, when we get let down. But that is the essential condition of being who we are and who are we under the, in the dominion or the, under the kingdom of the Prince of Peace? We are peacemakers. And when I say a commitment to practice forgiveness, I mean giving it and asking for it. So when you create the tangle, you go make peace by asking for forgiveness and having a commitment not to do the same thing that caused the tangle in the first place. When I say we have a commitment to giving forgiveness, that means you have pre-decided in your heart that when you are wronged, when you are sinned against, your extension back to the person, your response back to the person will be to give forgiveness. Forgiveness. Let's give you a definition. Definition of forgiveness is this. It's our decision, our choice to pardon people for their offense and then not to be repaid. That's what we're saying. We'll pardon and we don't want it, we don't, you don't owe me anything. You don't have to repay me. That's part of being a peacemaker. And then the results. How do you know if you've actually forgiven someone? How do you know that you've crossed the line? Because you can say it, but what's really going on when we've done forgiveness? It's the same as what God has done for you in Christ. The moment you and I give Christ the steering wheel of our lives, the moment we say yes to being adopted into God's family, the moment we place ourselves under the dominion of the Prince of Peace, God's posture toward us changes. He no longer, has to offer, he no longer would give us wrath because that went to Christ on the cross. Instead, he wants to do something. He wants to bless, work for our good in all things, and honor us as sons and daughters and heirs of the kingdom. So when we forgive someone as God has forgiven us, the results of that forgiveness are that we now have a desire for their good and a decision that we are going to seek to honor that person. We are now 100%. We have shalom with them. So I'll stop. Is there anybody in your life right now That if I knew their name and said their name, you would want less than their good and you would find it very, very hard to honor them. Whatever name that is, you have a peacemaking responsibility and you have to get to forgiveness because that's who you are if you're under the kingdom of King Jesus, Prince So how do we start to practice that commitment? How do we start to live that out? How do we start to move forward and untangle the tangle with step three? Go to God, have a conversation, but your goal is peace, and you can't get to peace without going through the door of forgiveness. Three steps to live this out. Number one is we have to recognize something. We have a new power and a new reason to practice this commitment. God, understand this, because here's the conversation, right? I have it, I've, I've had it numerous times in, in 16 years. Here's the conversation. Matt, I could never become a Christian because I can't stop X. My, I, I, and, I, and It's been everything from having a few beers, and, and a few beers doesn't keep you out of heaven, by the way, but... Uh, it's been everything from I can't give up golf on Sunday morning, and I'm like, you're missing the point. First and foremost, when you understand who Christ is, there becomes a new desire, and you give up whatever it takes to get Christ. He's that good, okay? Number one. But number two is, you get a power inside of you, it's God inside of you, that begins to help you overcome the things that plague you, or that have damaged you, or the hangups that you have in your life. So when, that, when, I, when I read in 1 John 3 that the divine seed is inside of you, you have a new power, and you have a new reason to practice the commitment, the the reason is who your who your prince is or who your king is he's a prince of peace so you and i are under a new master we're not being managed by our pride We're not being mastered by our ego. We're not enslaved to other people's opinions of us, which makes it hard for us to admit we're wrong and thus ask for forgiveness. We are liberated and we're under a new master, and that master is a forgiving master. That master is a peacemaking master. So we're under a new master who gives his children his power to begin to overcome our hang-ups or our hurts or our habits or our tangles. So we have a new reason, a new power under a new master. And then secondly, we realize this, that we have a new source of what I call better joy. The better joy is Christ. Okay. So so one of the issues with forgiveness is this. When, when someone hurts you, wounds you, it's, it's a sense they've taken something from you. They slandered you and hurt your reputation. Uh, they caused your first marriage to end, uh, what, whatever. They gossiped against you. They, they, they blackballed you from the club, whatever it is, okay? You know, they didn't like your thing on social media and you're mad, whatever, okay? So there's a sense they took something from you. And, and, the, and the temptation in your brain and in your heart, if you're outside of God's kingdom or not, not really under, your, under the master of Jesus and you don't understand he gave you better joy, is, this, is you say this to yourself, they took something for me that I need to be whole, complete, and happy. And I'll never get it back. That's not true if you have Christ. Because in Christ, you have all you need. To be whole, complete, and happy. He's that sufficient. He's that superior. And he's that satisfying. As I've said to you before, Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. So be careful if you're holding that grudge, if you're nursing that resentment, if that name that I talked about a few minutes ago that you can't wish well and good and and, and seek to honor them that's in that person because of what they supposedly did to you or took from you, guess what? That thing they might have taken from you might be your false god. So so part of getting to forgiveness is understanding we get a better joy in Christ. When we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's not just lip service. That's a new source of happiness. Now the challenge is this. Again, with forgiveness, there's some lies that we have to arrest. One of those lies is this, that to forgive is to forget. Well, I just can't forget what they did. I can't forget what they did. I can't forget what they did. Here's the challenge, okay? It's not so much forgetting what they did as remembering what Christ has done and who Christ is. And and so what we do, though, is this. We rehearse what they did. And we look at, and that's all we're looking at. And it's like, I can't believe, I can't believe. And it just, like, keeps picking the scab, keeps picking the scab. And and so the truth is this, the key to... The key to forgiveness is not to think you have to forget what they did. You just, instead of rehearsing what they did, you have to rehearse the gospel more. You have to rehearse the gospel more. So your memory, you assign a weight to it. Here's what I mean. What weighs more? What they did for you or who Christ is to you? What they did to you, I can't forget it. Or what Christ is to you. This is why Paul says this. Bear with one another. We're sinful people. Forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. So what's he saying? The forgiveness we have in Christ weighs more than what they did and we rehearse the gospel and we see them not we see them not through the lens of what they did to us we see them through the lens of who Christ is for us and who is he he's our prince of peace prince of peace Second step to living out this commitment is this, that the path of following Jesus involves a constant dying and crucifixion. Again, I know that's not popular for me to stand up here and say that. And we're you know, we're like inoculated in this era of self-help and just make me feel good, pastor, and then I'll leave and everybody will be good. I don't want to lie to you. Following Jesus invo- involves dying to some things. And it's important that you hear what I mean because forgiveness always requires a death. Require the death of Jesus, but it doesn't require you and I to get up on a cross, but it might require this, a death to my pride, a death to revenge, a death to being right. It may require a death to that. And so when we pick up our cross and follow Christ, we have to die to some things in order to be a peacemaker. We have to die to some things in order to extend forgiveness. Jesus did. And his nature lives in us, and he is what? A prince of peace. So it requires that we die to some things. It means you can't bring it up again, even when it would win you sympathy. It means you can't play the victim card, throw a pity party, and invite yourself and everyone else to it. You have to die to those things, but you've gotten something better. You've gotten Christ. Now, the, the, the lie that hampers this commitment is this. I just don't feel it. I I don't feel like forgiving. No one really feels like dying either. Christ in Gethsemane? Father, I don't want to do it. But I have made a commitment, Lord, Father, to do your will over what I feel like doing. So the overcoming truth is this. In your life, my life, choices have to lead. Feelings have to follow. Choices have to lead and feelings have to follow. So when you enter into the dominion, when you come into the family of the Prince of Peace, you are part of learning what it means to be a student, a child of God, is that you are saying, God, I've got to have a commitment to learn how to forgive. I've got to have a commitment to becoming a peacemaker, which means I have to make a choice to die to pride, die to revenge, die to all those things, letting justice be handled by God. And if God appoints the governments to, to mediate some justice, which he does, then that's, that's where you leave it. We die to being right, dying to be, die to, I got to play the victim card and tell everybody, tell everybody what happened to me 35 years ago at the Christmas party. Here's my tangle. Die to that. So choices lead. And if you have had that moment in your life of surrender, like I invited several of you to do and let us know about on the card, if you've had that moment, then you've made a choice. You've made a choice to learn from Christ and give him the steering wheel of your life, not just get a ticket to heaven from him. And giving him the steering wheel of your life, part of that means, God, I'm gonna make me a peacemaker. God, I've got to forgive others just as you've forgiven me. And let those choices and that commitment to him lead and feelings follow. Third step of honoring, practicing, living out this commitment is this. Understand this, that faithfulness to Jesus involves taking responsibility for peacemaking. Taking responsibility for peacemaking. Now, here's where we get hung up, okay? When, when we talk about forgiveness and dealing with tangles, here's where we get hung up. We start thinking about what they need to do. So I want to make a distinction in everybody's heart and everybody's mind. There's what's my responsibility and what their responsibility is. Okay? My responsibility is to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. <coughs> Excuse me. My responsibility is to move, have the, go vertical, have the conversation, and act as a peacemaker who is committed to giving and asking for forgiveness. Their response is not my responsibility. The fact that they haven't apologized to you is not my responsibility. The fact that they're still doing it and they're all that kind of stuff's going on—that's not my responsibility. I am still under the command of the Prince of Peace. With the Prince of Peace's nature inside of me, I am still responsible for being a peacemaker. Now, what if they don't apologize? What if they don't accept my my apology? You go to Romans 12, 18. If possible, it's not, not everybody wants to be at peace. Let that be their deal between them and the Lord, not yours. Your responsibility versus theirs. Mine versus theirs. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Not everybody wants to be at peace, but as far as it depends upon you, you live at peace with everyone. You do your part. You do your part to get to 100%. You do your part to be a peacemaker. Now, wh- what, if they, what if they don't do it? Or what if they don't accept my apology? Or what if they don't forgive me? Or what if, what if um, <coughs> they, they're not sorry for what they did? What if they don't even know what they did? You still go to forgiveness. What if they keep doing it? Then you go into one of two categories. What if, Matt? Are you saying I got to just keep forgiving him or forgiving her, and they keep doing it? They keep doing it. You go to one of two places. You go to what Scripture would call enemy love. You love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Enemy love. It's or another way to say that is one-sided forgiveness. One-sided forgiveness. Okay. One-sided forgiveness. Or if it's a Christ follower, you go to church discipline. You go to church discipline. Do we do that at Rock Ridge? Oh, yeah. If we know about it, we deal with it. And church discipline is basically a three-step process, face-to-face, one-on-one, face-to-face with a witness or leadership, and then three, take it to the church, our elders, our staff pastors get involved, and if there's no repentance, then people are asked to leave the church. Well, that's Judgment. The Bible says judgment starts in the house of God. In the house of God. So if we are claiming to be under the authority of Jesus and we're not peacemakers willing to give and ask for forgiveness, then the Bible says we're not, we're not acting as Christ followers and we may not be one. And so if you're not a Christ follower, you're not in the church. And then we go to showing people the grace of God and the gospel. And that's the process. So if as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And let me say this, two things. Number one is this. You punish yourself when you don't forgive other people. You pay a price. Price of bitterness, price of anger, price of just walking around with this edge and this tension. So, so let me read this quote from Anne Lamont. Unforgiveness, unforgiveness is like drinking, drink, you drinking poison and then hoping the other person dies. So forgiveness is also cathartic and therapeutic and healing for you, bringing shalom and peace back into your soul when you release them and forgive them. There's a, there's a, there's a great story that comes out of uh, Nazi Germany, a lady named Cory ten Boone who was a Christian in, in Nazi concentration camps. And several of the, of the prison guards were uh, awful, awful to the women prisoners. So a few years after the war, she survived the concentration camps. A few years after the war, she's in Germany, and she's talking, preaching, teaching on the subject of forgiveness. And as she's giving the sermon, an old man steps forward, and she looked at him, and she knew instantly it was one of the guards that had done some bad things to her. And as he stepped forward, he extended his hand, and he told her he'd become a Christian. After the war, it ended. And he looked at her and he said, Do you forgive me? Here's what she said. I had to take the man's hand. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. I told myself this. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Jesus, you supply the feeling. And as I reached out my hand, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely. As I did them. See, there's another lie that we sometimes hold on to, which prevents forgiveness. And the lie is this well, I can't let them off the hook. I'd be condoning them. I'd be condoning what they did. So the overcoming truth of that is this stay in your lane. What is your responsibility? Our responsibility is not to pay anybody back, okay? Sin gets paid back in two places, hell or cross. In hell or on Jesus on the cross. My sin, if I'm a Christ follower, is taken care of on the cross. Their sin, if they're a Christ follower, the prison guard's sin of what he did to Corey ten Boone while in the Nazi concentration camps, the moment he became a child of the Prince of Peace, his sin went to Christ. So stay in our lane. God will handle sin. Their response, not our responsibility, but our responsibility is to be a peacemaker. So I want to ask you to do a couple of things, and we'll close in a special time of prayer, and I'll ask you not to get up during this time. I want to ask you to pre-decide that you will give and ask for forgiveness. So how would you complete this sentence? I choose to forgive someone's name, someone's offense, someone's wrong. Notice I didn't use the word feel, but I choose to forgive. How would you complete that? Second one, I will ask for forgiveness from, whose name? For what you did. And then, as a peacemaker, you have to go first. Why do I have to go first? I'm not sure they're going to accept my apology. I'm not sure because Jesus did. When we sinned, did He wait for any of us that are Christ followers? He wait for you to come to Him. He wooed you and pursued you and showed you His bloody body on a cross for you. He died in your place. So you and I go first because that's what peacemakers do. So as we close in prayer, I just want to invite you to think of three names. Who do you know that does not have peace with God? Somebody in your family, somebody in your job, neighbor, friend, who do you know that doesn't have peace with God? Would you pray for them and invite them to one of our Rockbridge presents classic Christmas services that we have all over North Georgia and Tennessee Valley. Pray and invite someone you know that's not right. It's not at peace with God. Second name. Who is it that you need to forgive? Pray for them. Forgive them. Desire good for them. And seek to honor them. Third name, who do you need to say this to? I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I tell couples, premarital counseling, those are the nine words you need to remember. As peacemakers who still hurt people, I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Three names in your heart. Someone far from God to invite and pray for. Someone you need to forgive. Someone you need to ask forgiveness from. Let us pray. God, in your word, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. First, Father, I pray for anybody in this room that's not at peace with you, that right now, in their heart of hearts, in their soul, they would say yes to Jesus as their Prince of Peace, as their Savior, as their King. They would say yes to being born again. They would say yes to becoming your son or your daughter. God, I pray for those that are on our hearts right now that do not know you. God, in, in Jesus' name, all those names that people are thinking of that are far from you, that are not in, in church, not in Christ, not under your dominion, we lift them up right now. God, we pray for an opportunity for boldness and for courage to extend an invitation to them to come to our Christmas special services next weekend where, they're here, where they will hear about you, Prince of Peace. And we're praying, God, people would respond to that message. God, we pray for those right now that we are choosing to forgive. Make us peacemakers. God, we're praying right now for those we've hurt and injured that we need to go to have that conversation saying I am sorry I was wrong please forgive me God I pray for your power your resurrection new life your power to overcome us overwhelm us and to move us to be peacemakers for blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children children of God. King Jesus, it is in your mighty name we pray. You are Prince of Peace. Amen.